Hello on camera. You're such a wonderful person. <laughs> but you got problems. <laughs> uh, you know what I just realized? I um sort of combined songs there. That was like a low remash right there, remix. I'm singing. Um, what was I singing? Breaking Glass. I blanked out. But that was the car lick from um, Speed of Life, the opening track. So I was kind of all over the place with that one. But Rob, <laughs> how you doing? All I have to say is that I will sit right down <laughs> waiting for the gift of sound and vision. All right. That See you next time, guys. Range, but... So I had to go for it. Oh, I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How about you, buddy? Midway through the Bowie series, we were on video, guys. Anybody who saw the our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame rant video knows that we are now able to record video. And we were just kind of joking off camera that it's like, geez, you know, before the pandemic kind of didn't know about Zoom. Now we do. So it's making our lives easier in terms of video. Because we, we've been wanting to do that since the beginning is have on YouTube video and then for the podcast services just have the audio so yeah so it only took us a year to finally figure out you know how yeah. to do the video portion and you know that's just goes to show how much you know you and i are just the biggest dopes probably if you're and an audio file kind of if you're an audio file kind of person you're like a little picky with that the audio quality on the podcast versions will be a little bit better because obviously you know i'm recording it and andy is like through like it, it's his recording off of the internet so it's not as high quality i try to do like some pretty meticulous editing when i can on the audio front so if you would rather have better quality audio just check out this episode on as we always plug anchor spotify what is it apple, apple music or any apple music all of them any uh, all podcast them, app so. you use but if you want to see our beautiful faces then there you go then and if you're listening then go to youtube we're here so uh, interesting that we are now able to do this, starting with this album. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's I think a this era is of Bowie. You know, new era of Bowie, new era of Santa music. So there you go. Definitely a good yeah. episode to uh, start this transition. But um, yeah, if you guys haven't figured it out already, we are talking about the Low album, um, the first album in what is considered the Berlin trilogy, which would. Uh, coincide with Heroes, and then followed by Lodger as well. Of course, we're going to be talking about both those records. Um, well, I guess after this episode, right? They're the next two. Duh. But uh, before yeah. we get into low, um, I got to ask. Tell the viewers, what are you drinking? What are you drinking today? Uh, back to my lame my lame ass here. We're, we always record after I get out of work. So this is a very large cup of black tea. Mm. Um, again, to quote Picard, I will do it every time. T. Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> Gotta get that Star Trek reference in. Um, yeah. I'll be having the tea myself later tonight, but I, of course, I am going with a beer again. I'm going to show it. Fuck it. I'm going to show it. Sam Adams Rebel IPA. I'm uh, glad you like IPAs. I'm an IPA boy. Uh, my favorite Sam Adams. And uh, I got a water bottle as well, so... And a new segment since we're um, since we are now on video. What shirt are we wearing today? Mine is uh, this pretty awesome Pink Floyd shirt that I got. I and I like. I don't know about you. When it comes to band shirts, I like one of two things. One, like either a really amazing album cover from the band, or just a, 
as, as long as the band themselves are in the photo, I always kind of gravitated more towards those shirt. So what I like about this is that it kind of has the best of both worlds. You get, you know, kind of cool picture, cool, like little portrait of, you know, the four dudes and Floyd inside the dark side of the moon prism. Yeah. But then my favorite part of it, which unless you are a big Floyd fan, you won't recognize is the saucer full of secrets, pink Floyd. Ah, uh, yeah. There, yeah. Yep. So, so you've got all sorts of different Floyd references going on there. Well, I believe the, this photo is from the Inside the Dark Side of the Moon manual. I believe, I yes, I believe manual. it is. And of course, yeah, you've got so, the prism, uh, which is, of course, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. And I didn't even uh, notice that, that was the font from uh, Saucerful Secrets. So there you go. Yep, pretty cool, right? Well, so it just so happens I'm wearing a man shirt as well. Um, mm -hmm. You may have heard of them. You may have recalled us doing um, a whole discography discussion about them. Shout out <laughs> to Season 1 Sound of Music, King Crimson. Oh, oh nice. Look at that. Look at that. With the oh. mic in the way. This is a very old that. shirt. I've had this shirt for probably about 10 years now. But uh, yeah, I... it's a very phased out in the court oh. of the Crimson King. I, I actually remember when you got that shirt. Anyway, this isn't about shirts, but I thought it would be interesting to put two of my favorite bands here. Excellent. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, maybe now that we're on video, speaking of show and tell, I get to do one of these now. Bum, ba, da, da. Ooh, nice! You got so now we have the low vinyl album. So we've got first pressing of low on vinyl, the record we are going to be talking about today. And of course, we've got this vinyl, fine uh, 2017 remaster as well. So yeah. very, very nice. Yeah, very nice. All right, but enough of that for realsies That's this one time. That I wish I had on vinyl. Yeah, you know, I um I actually have just about at this point every Bowie every so when I say every Bowie record, I mean from Space Oddity to Scary Monsters. So from that mm -hmm. span, I have every single one on vinyl, with the exception of Young Americans and Heroes. I'm just wow. missing those two. So I gotta get those wow. in my collection. And the both the Space Oddity and Man Who Sold the World versions I have are the alternate cover. So the Space Oddity is sort of like that hazy, psychedelic background with the close-up of his face. It kind of looks like more like Ziggy, Bowie, you know, which album cover I'm talking about. Uh, I think it's the one used for the thumbnail, actually, for that episode. Um, and then the Man Who Sold the World one is the the, the, the black background with um, just Bowie playing guitar. I think he's got his one foot in the air. I don't know if you know oh, cool. what uh, nice. image I'm talking about, but that's one of the alternate covers for that record. So... Those are the additions I have. Very nice. Yeah, man. But um, without further ado, I say we get into this album. Hello. Let's do it. You ready? All right. Mm -hmm. Folks, if you see my head turning this way, it's because I'm looking at my notes, all right? I, you know, I don't have the shit memorized. <laughs> it's the one nice thing about, you know, not being on camera, I suppose. But all right. So <laughs> we are going to talk about the low record. Low. Low. Low is the 11th studio album by English singer-songwriter David Bowie, released on the 14th of January, 1977, by RCA Records, recorded following Bowie's move to West Berlin after a period of drug addiction and personal instability. Low was the first of three collaborations with Brian Eno and producer Tony Visconti later turned the Berlin Trilogy, 
although this record was mostly recorded in France, out of the three, I believe Heroes was actually the only one that was solely, all the sessions were solely recorded in Berlin. Parts of Lodger and Lower in Berlin, other parts of Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're going to talk about it as we talk about this record. I feel that this is either the man's, one of the man's most important records or possibly his most important record um, in his discography. Of course, this was a stylistic change going more towards electronic and ambient sound approaches with a lot of German influence, specifically kraut rock groups such as Tangerine Dream, Noi, Kraftwerk, Cam, Harmonia. Um, while this was going on, um, Bowie was also working with Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop was part of these low sessions that we're also going to talk about throughout, but was also recording Iggy's first two solo records, The Idiot and Less for Life, both very much in the vein, sound, and style of this period. Um, if you are a fan of the Berlin era of Bowie, I highly, highly, highly recommend you check out The Idiot and Lust for Light, Iggy Pop's first two solo records. Um, can you tell I'm excited to talk about this one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, give, go, keep going. Uh, no, that's all I got uh, for now. Give us the band personnel, and then we'll get into it track by track, and we'll we'll talk about everything as far as this record goes. Okie dokie. Um, so the personnel list is a bit long, so I'm just going to try to really be, especially with the instruments everybody plays. Uh, but first of all, we have Mr. Bowie on vocals, saxophone, guitar, pump bass, harmonica, vibraphone, xylophone, pre-arranged percussion, and lots of other stuff. I'm not going to read it all. There's a ton. Um, Brian Eno uh, is also on this. He plays keyboards, mini moog, uh, the ARP, EMS, Synthie, uh, Synthie AKS, listed as EMI, piano, Chamberlain, uh, synthesizers, vocals, guitar treatments, synthetics, and instruments. Carlos Alomar plays rhythm guitar and lead guitar on a few of the tracks, not all of them. Dennis Davis plays percussion. George Murray plays bass. There's, there, there's, They kind of vary in terms of what tracks they play on, but I'm not going to specify too much here because we'll be here all day. Uh, Ricky Gardner plays rhythm guitar and lead guitar on a few songs. Roy Young plays piano and the Farfisa organ. Love the Farfisa organ, by the way. And the additional musicians is one guy you just mentioned, Iggy Pop, who does some uh, backing vocals. Mary Visconti, who I assume is... Tony Visconti's wife. wife at the time. Yeah. Yep, did backing vocals on a couple tracks. Edward Mayer did ch uh, played cello on one track, and Peter and Paul played... P pianos and ARP and th they are Peter Robinson and Paul Buckmaster for those who want to know who helped work with Bowie on the Man Who Fell to Earth soundtrack and the cover is from I think you mentioned this last time isn't the cover from the movie as well the man who sold yeah Earth, I believe both yeah the the cover from from this album as well the station the station I believe are both from the man who fell to Earth the man who fell mm -hmm. to Earth can't talk today um yeah, and actually some of these songs, we'll mention them as we go through each track, some of these songs were supposedly, and we're going to use the word supposedly loosely, because if you remember from the last episode, we talked about that this is still, we're still coming off of that cocaine binge that started with Young Americans and Station to Station, so everyone's memory during this period is very fuzzy, 
especially as indicated in the other uh, one Bowie book I've been reading. Um, but some of the songs were originally recorded for that soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, to answer your original question, the album cover I do believe is from that film. Okay. All right, yeah, dude. Um, let's get into it then, track by track. Um, starting with track one, side one, Speed of Life. So I think this is such an odd way to open the album, but I love it at the same time. Um, <laughs> I was, as I was going back and listening to this record, I was reading online that um, apparently this song faintly records, um, recalls, sorry, uh, recalls the chorus of the Gene Genie, which I was like, wait, what? But if, if you do listen to it, you do kind of hear it a little bit. Uh, and I think that's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. a lot of what I get from Side One, which by the way, we should mention, um, Side One is the more arty pop side with lyrics, uh, where Side Two has always been known as the ambient side. And we'll get into that a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always kind of got that, like the theme of this record was sort of like looking back on at the past, um, but also kind of like figuring out where you're at now, hence, you know, moving to Berlin and kind of, you know, getting your life together, starting over. Um, so I always, so I thought that that was kind of interesting that it kind of, you heard some of the, uh, what was the chorus of the Gene Genie, um, you know, reminiscing. I've never noticed that myself, but that's interesting. Yeah. Um, what I really love about this song is I love the juxtaposition of both the, the buzzing synthesizer, which we get a lot of that throughout this record, um, as well as the guitar. Uh, it sort of is like mm-hmm. the sonic like manifesto, if you will. Um, it's bombastic. Mm-hmm. It's minimal at parts. Um, like I said, while on, I think it's such a cool way uh, to open up the record. Yeah, yeah and it, it definitely indicates that this is a new era for sure like just the sound of the song of the track itself you know it's a nice little like kind of opening intro piece it's like already nothing we've never heard before right and even coming off of station to station um, the only thing that would even come close to it would be maybe that title track off of station to station but even then it's still the sound is still it very much its own you know yeah absolutely what do you think of the track itself though i think it's good it's a Bowie has this way of making sort of the unaccessible accessible, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Just And what I mean is just that you take an instrumental piece like this, which is, it's very, very, like, obviously you can tell that there's like a, le- a lot of electronic influences in it. Like you said, it's got that kind of weird juxtaposition of guitar mixed with sort of electronic elements. But he, at the same time, not only blends them well together, but makes them kind of accessible to sort of the average listener. Like it, it, it it's almost like a, not a pop song, but you know, it, it has that kind of, it kind of reminds me of that same formula, but done in a weird experimental style. I don't know if, if you <clears throat> yeah, get what I'm trying to say. That. Yeah, you made it's me. It's a, it's a catchy tune, you know? It absolutely the, the is a riff, catchy tune. The riff, the riff gets stuck in your head. You and there's know? no melody, there's no vocals, and yet it's yeah. so catchy. I find that I, mm-hmm. I have this, I don't think, I think this and like YYZ are like the two instrumentals and I'm always singing in my <laughs> head, you know, like, like you said, it's really catchy. Um, you just made me think too that, you know, this is definitely, you know, this is another example. We've talked about this relentlessly already during the series is 
always a chameleon, right? This record's mm-hmm. no exception. It's very clear. Maybe it's not very clear to this one because he's taking a lot of under what was underground influence at the time. Um, but you're hearing what he was listening to, but yet it's he's making it his own too. Um, yeah, and he's also giving you kind of a peek of what's to come in popular music in the next couple absolutely. Of years. And I don't, I don't yeah. want to. I was going to say this more for my final thoughts, so I won't uh, go too crazy yet. But I mean, this this record to me set the way for post punk music. Mm-hmm. Post punk is literally right around the corner. I mean, 1977, mm-hmm. you had. Um, some of the greatest debut albums of all time um, from all these punk, post-punk guys, Elvis Costello, the Talking Heads, um, you know, the list goes on. Um, and, I, and I think this record really pioneered that sound, what became later on post-punk, because post-punk uh, borrows a lot of those styles of music uh, that we hear on this particular record. Uh, so yeah. this song, while odd, definitely sets the stage for what's to come yeah and also not just beyond post-punk like you get you you get into more like art rock and new wave even i think it at times this record hints at that but yeah again i don't want to get too ahead of myself (laughs) (laughs) um anything else to add for speed of life i it's a it's a good good opening track i like it a lot yeah cool so then let's um let's move on to track two breaking glass um, best way I can summarize this song is it's it's short and sweet. It's, well, it's short and sweet. Um, <laughs> it's a bizarre song fragment because that's what it is. It's a fragment that just works. It works. Um, it reminds me of some of those uh, like King Crimson pieces from so, kind of later in their career. How they interesting. Had those little, like, yeah, some like the little like um, yeah. segs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's funny that you said that because I was reading. Um, in this Bowie book that I'm reading, that um, Tony Vis- Tony Visconti, I can't talk today. Tony Visconti said that um, Bowie was suffering uh, writer's block from this period. Um, mm-hmm. It was Eno that said to him, "Turn every circumstance to your advantage. Every idea, every circumstance to your advantage. Don't normalize it. Keep it strange." Uh, Bowie mm-hmm. intended to you know, shaping up some of the lyrics. I believe you even add another line, if I remember correctly. Uh, and Eno's like, no, don't do it. Keep it as it is. This this is so weird and radical. Keep it as it is. Um, I just found that really fascinating. Um, I think the, the importance of Eno during this era uh, was detrimental. And I love the partnership that Brian Eno had with Bowie and Visconti during this time period. It sort of reminds me of the relationship that he would uh, develop one year later with the Talking Heads as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this song. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, I just think it's so cool. Again, you've got those buzzing synthesizers bleeping in and out. Um and it's under two minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and it's got also got that guitar sound too, um, which is, you know, again, um, I don't know. Let me see which guitarist plays on that track. Just give me a second. Uh, I love his vocals on this song too. Yes, I do too. Um, okay, yep. Uh, Rick Ricky Gardner plays that kind of interesting sort of riff. Mm-hmm in the song uh it's it's good it's a it's 
it i also feel like um with this and a couple other tracks particularly there's i definitely well the next track and the definitely the next track there's a little tiny remnant left of that sound that he was really prominent in young americans that i think carried over to mm. um, um by the way i don't station, think we station a bit I don't think like maybe a little tiny remnant there's still a little bit of that kind of the way he was structuring with this particular track funk song a little bit with this one but definitely more on one of the other tracks which i think you know which one i'm talking yeah. about um but yeah i i heard a little bit that really on all the track most of the tracks with um with vocals on this on this album yeah I, uh, and speaking of ricky gardner because you mentioned him uh, i was gonna wait for another song um underrated guitarist right especially when we're talking about bowie um i know this is another thing we've gone on about already i mean this man's worked with some of the guitar greats um and still will as we get through the rest of the um, you know discography mm-hmm. um you know i don't need to mention the names but i will anyways <laughs> mick rodson robert fripp um carl's alabar who's on this record as well um but i don't know about you if you're going back and listening to this album um and I haven't looked into Ricky Gardner yet. This guy has to be influenced by Robert Fripp. Has to be influenced by Robert Fripp. Yeah, and I noticed... Uh, what was interesting about uh, this album, and I definitely noticed it on this song, was that actually the electronic stuff in it, like the electronic yeah. instrumentation, definitely dominates. But um, if you're actually paying attention to the guitar, there's some very interesting things going on with the guitar. And I think probably... In this song, it's probably it's the most prominent. Yeah, it um, reminds me. It sort of reminds me of some of the stuff Fripp did a few years prior with Eno. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those um, collaborations they did. I'm blanking on the names. Um, Evening Star was the second one, and I can't remember the name of the first album at the moment. But it sort of reminds me of that uh, a little bit. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, man, uh, just another great song. Um, again, so far the these. Both of these two songs are very odd. It's an opening track and a, uh, a track two, but that it's they're great and it sounds again. It's nothing like we've heard him do before, uh, which brings oh, us yeah. to track three. Uh, what in the world? <laughs> I uh, I got to read this to you. Um, I, I read this on Wikipedia, and um, maybe the only time in my life I'll compliment Wikipedia. But I think uh, this the the sound of this song. Um, is described in this Wikipedia article perfectly. Ready? A blip-like sound comparable to the sounds later made by Pac-Man and the Nintendo Entertainment System pulses throughout the song, which coupled with extremely rhythmic guitar solos creates a frantic pace. There's a couple of songs on here that's funny you mention that, and that's just because, I mean, I know you, you know, We've talked about this before, but we're both pretty pretty big gamers. Yeah, there's definitely a few tracks on here that have reminded me of like this could be good for like a video game soundtrack, you know, particularly some of the instrumentals. But yeah, that kind of blipping sound is very interesting. But it also reminds me of some of our uh, our wonderful um, Krautrock friends who uh, very much influenced a lot of this album. It could, it could that that sound effect could be on a Tangerine Dream album or um, something maybe like a Kraftwerk album too. Yeah. Um, a lot of these electronic textures, there's, and you'll have to forgive me that I'm blanking out on some of like where some of them are, but overall on the whole album, you know, there's times I, I, I listen, I'll listen. I'm like this, this, 
I can hear the craftwork influence here. You know, I can hear the uh, the can influence here. So um, this is another one where like that blipping and those electronic effects really reminded me of, you know, some maybe some tangerine dream yeah absolutely you hear those um those um you know those german influences for sure Mm -hmm. um i don't know how well you know them but one of my favorite bands is uh, the flaming lips and this Mm -hmm. song kind of reminds me of like a proto flaming lips song in the sense that it's um it's fun and catchy but it's so paranoid sounding like you know again there's i feel the insecurity in this song this record um it's just a cold record you know (laughs) it really is Mm -hmm. um but again it's so catchy it has its yeah it's 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 that um weird sort of uh dichotomy of you know especially with a song like this i think the vocal melody and maybe not the vocals themselves he I love, first of all, actually, on that note, I do like the, like his kind of, the way he sings the song. Yeah. Um, like his vocals on this track is really, really good, but um, there's a weird kind of, at times on this album, dichotomy between kind of not happy melodies, but more upbeat melodies, but a darker tone underneath, which I, I really love that, you know? Yeah. I like that, that kind of jarring um, dichotomy. Yeah, for sure. I think that's well said. Um, this was the song too when you were reading the uh, the um, the personnel um, uh, that Iggy is, uh, does backing vocals on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's him or Eno in the chorus. The um, wait until the crowd cries because um, it yeah. it sounds like Eno doing the higher vocals, but the the lower pitch is definitely Iggy. Um, but I didn't see anything about uh, Eno doing vocals for this song specifically. I know he does a lot of the backing vocals uh, throughout this album, and some of the tracks, it's definitely more um, prominent. You can tell that it's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, I'm not sure. Um, but it's cool to hear Iggy on this one. This one definitely feels like it could have fit perfectly on The Idiot as well. Um, again, you know, making you know those comparisons with those two Iggy records, you know, all around the same time period for sure. Um, but yeah, man, um, this is just another one. Catchy, dark, it works. <laughs> it just yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that brings us to the big one. Track four, Sound and Vision. Um, I love this song. <laughs> yeah, it's cliche. Like, sometimes I'm okay with, like, first of all, I don't, I never don't like something just because it's popular. Of course. You know, I don't like that i feel like people should either like it like something or not like it based on their own you know objective opinion or subject just basically if it sounds good to you you should like it whether it gets played like constantly on the radio or whether it's some deep track but i can honestly say this is like i know it's one of his more popular songs it really is one of the best songs on the record i feel without a a doubt reason without a doubt and it it's certainly probably this and oddly enough the first track probably the catchiest tune on the record Mm -hmm. um and yeah i don't know i thought you might appreciate this but when i first heard you know when i was first getting into bowie and i had that two disc best of bowie set this was the only song off of this album sound of vision was the only one off off of the best of album actually i didn't really like it too much at first really this one was a this was a grower for me yeah over 
maybe the first year or so. But once it grew on me, it became one of my absolute favorite Bowie songs. Interesting. So. Yeah, this this one has as far back as I can remember getting into Bowie. Um, this mm-hmm. one uh, has always been a favorite. Um, interesting enough, this one in the UK, this was his biggest single since um, Sorrow, the cover he did off of uh, Pinups a few years back. Oh, wow. um, the US it did a chart so I think the US it chart like number 63 or something I had read mm-hmm. um, but when Bowie went to submit the record to RCA they're like yeah no we're not putting this out like what the fuck is this um, <laughs> I guess convinced them to put it out I don't know um, but this you know this ended up being a, a pretty successful single like not one of his biggest but I mean, you know, number three is still pretty big on the UK charts, and uh, mm-hmm. the album ended up outselling uh, Station to Station, which I think is interesting because uh, Golden Years was a pretty big single uh, for its time. Uh, right, so the, yeah. the record, even upon release, did very well. Uh, the Sock Sound Vision itself, I think, sort of gained a second life in 1990 uh, when Bowie was taking a break touring with Tin Machine. Uh, he did the Sound and Vision tour, which, if you're not familiar with the Sound and Vision tour, it was Bowie's attempt to do a whole tour just playing the hits pretty much one last time mm-hmm. type of thing. Uh, so he named it the Sound and Vision tour, put out a box set called the Sound and Vision box set. Uh, so the song kind of developed a second life. A 1991 remix came out that's not that great, by the way. Um, but what's interesting about that tour is, yeah, he played all the hits one last time and then kind of took a break with stuff throughout the 90s. But the song came back in like the early 2000s uh, during the Heathen Four. There's a couple of really good live versions of him performing that. Um, but as far as the song goes, uh, I just think, I really do think, um, while it's not my favorite song on the record, uh, there's one other one I would put above it. Um, I think from a recording standpoint, this is one of his best pieces of music um what him tony and eno laid out on this track is just i think pure production i've really these last few years i've really been really have been getting more of a appreciation for production um Mm -hmm. whether it's something like a song like good vibrations and some of the stuff that Brian Wilson did with that song, or even just growing an appreciation for George Martin and the things he did with the Beatles. I, you listen to this song, clean slate, you're not doing anything else, good headphones, just listen to this song and just listen to what's going on. And just this, from the sonic ch- textures to the, um, the just, just the stereo separation of the instrumentation throughout. I know I'm just sounding like a pretentious audiophile, um, but but really, just the the recording of this song is just so good, and it sounds mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it could have been recorded today in 2020. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, uh, yeah, it's definitely a very well produced song. I would I would agree. Yeah, and, it really is, uh, and I, and it's another one that while it's very experimental, it's catchy. You know, I, I, I mean, we were singing, you know, we were singing the chorus in the beginning of the episode uh, with our little Lawa remix there. But, you know, this is another this one. This is I a song I was talking about, I think, probably more than anyone still has a hint of that, um, that kind of 
solely funk kind of sound it yeah has, absolutely like, the it chorus does or the you know the backup singers there a little bit you know the which that's mary visconti by the way oh okay that's that's mary visconti. yeah that's her okay. um but yeah i mean um uh what i also think is interesting about this song is this is one of the songs where the vocals were recorded last um as well as the lyrics being written um, they had the instrumentals. They even had the do-do-do, you know, vocals, the backing vocals in general, uh, recorded. Um, and then David came in and just, I think it was like a couple of takes, they did the song and you got sound and vision. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, I I, I I don't know what else to say about this song. I just think, I just, I just, this is just one of those songs I just, I just think it's brilliant. I, I just think this is one of the greatest recordings ever. You know. Oh yeah, the the riffs great. Uh, the chorus is great. Um, his vocals are really really great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is just, and it's it's kind of amazing with the rest of this album. Like yeah, this was the hit. And first of all, I'm actually kind of amazed that it became a hit. Just that really any song of this album became a hit. Yeah. Um, Why this again, one that, specifically? That, that kind of. Huh. Well, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I was just, I was just asking why this one specifically. Were you surprised? Oh, well, just because of the overall sound of the album. Mm-hmm. I mean, S- Sound of Vision has that, uh, like I said, it definitely still has that poppiness to it, but it's still strange enough where it's kind of, you know, it's still, I would call it more of like an outlier sort of pop song. It's not really, you know, it's 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 certainly not, you know, My Baby Done Left Me kind of thing. You know, it's <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely more eccentric. But at the same time, it's a super catchy song and, you know, it's, even cooler like it still has a lot of those same cool kind of electronic textures to it and i don't know really like the riff it's a great song let me ask you this this is another uh classic me putting you on the spot just like uh the rock and roll hall of fame episode um what do you think the song's about in your opinion oh god uh i have to think about the lyrics now you know because no, i'm not really sure like i maybe i God, I couldn't even tell you. It definitely ties into what I think the theme of this record is, like I was saying before, mm-hmm. with, you know, um, looking back on the past and looking back on, you know, could I could have I done this differently type of thing and, you know, where I'm at now. But with this one specifically, I've never really been able to pinpoint it. Um, yeah, I don't know whether he's trying to be, if, if he's talking figuratively or literally, like if he's actually talking about, um, I'm trying to think of the lyrics now. Well, like I was just, um, I was thinking yeah. of, um, here we go. Like the, the, the first line in the chor- uh, chorus, uh, blue, blue, electric blue. That's the color of my room where I will live. Blue, blue. Um, mm. like that could yeah, be interpreted. That, actually. Yeah. That's yeah be... So that could be interpreted like his, you know, him, um, you know, kind of getting a feel of his new surroundings. Pale blind, pale blinds drawn all day. Nothing to do, nothing to say. I always interpret that as, you know, again, he's trying to get clean off drugs. Um, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't go store cocaine. I can't, you know. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like if he'll sit right down, waiting for the gift to sound. It's like almost like he's kind of looking like waiting for a revelation that is going to help him to you know or like an epiphany rather than yeah more like an epiphany Mm -hmm. for himself of of how he's going to um i guess rectify all the issues in his life because uh 
I didn't really know until you were talking about it, and it makes sense based on other episodes that he was still um, struggling very much personally with a lot of things, namely drugs. Um, so given that kind of context, it kind of makes sense. See, it, it was weird. I, was, I think I was, I, I was uh, taking some of the lyrics more literally. Like he was actually talking about music and video or something. Because you could take that literal you know, meaning out of it. I too. think you absolutely could. Yeah. 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 This and also, is... ran- randomly, uh, for anybody who cares about this, I gotta the nerdy part of me has has to reference this. When he every time he says blue, blue, I think of the part in Earthbound where you're in like I don't know if you've ever played that game, but no. there's like a cult that's obsessed with turning things blue, mm. and it gets like really weird and creepy. And for some reason, like they always go blue, blue, and I'm like. <laughs> Oh my god, like every time I hear that I get So you you've always associated this song with that. With Earthbound, yeah. That's so incredible. That makes me like it even better. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Earthbound, by the way. Yeah. That's the one with Ness, right? Yeah, that's the one with Ness, okay. yeah. Well, I mean we're you were talking before there like I, I was telling you, there are moments like throughout this record like that in this album where it's like, oh, this could be on like a video game soundtrack or like Especially with the more ambient pieces, I think like a sci-fi, like an old sci-fi film or something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, anyway, sort of like. Sorry, um, I digress. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the movie. The uh, what's it called? Uh, the Harrison Ford one. Um, with Star Wars? No, no not Star Wars. Uh, why can't I blink? I think of it. Um, the sequel just came out a few years ago. I haven't seen the sequel. Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I couldn't. Yeah. I kind of think of the name. Uh, Blade yeah. Runner. There you go. Uh, all right, moving on to track five, Always Crashing in the Same Car. Um, this is my favorite song off the record, by the way. Um, I love this song. This has always been one of my favorite Bowie songs. I So this is the song uh, This is the song I was making reference to with Ricky Gardner before. Uh, that guitar solo very much reminds me of like a Fripp guitar solo. Sort of like in the vein of maybe like, uh, I don't know, like Red Arrow of the Band, Larks, um, um, Starless, that type of thing. Um, but I love that guitar solo at the end. It's interesting, coming off of our conversation with Sound and Vision, you were saying that, you know, you, you've always interpreted these um, those lyrics as literal. Um, mm-hmm. This song is a great example of interpreting it in two different ways. Um, and that's intentional. So you do have the uh, the literal um, portion of the song where this song was about a car accident that Bowie was in in the mid-70s. I believe Iggy was actually in the car with him. Um, story supposedly goes that um, it was during the, uh, the cocaine-fueled uh, portion of his life and he was uh, driving his Mercedes and he was meeting with this drug dealer. Um, Bowie supposedly spotted the drug dealer on the streets who he believed had ripped him off. So Bowie just repeatedly crashed his Mercedes into the drug dealer's car. Supposedly that's what the song's about. However, going back to the themes of what this record is, on a broader scale, you can look at this song as a metaphor as well, too. The song could be... I think I see where you're taking it. Yeah, the song could be... Again, it... It can be a metaphor on his life. Changes. Traveling. The line, every chance I take, I take it on the road. Right? 
That's mm-hmm. why I've always loved this song because this is a song that I think has two different meanings and that are influenced by both um, the figurative and the literal. Um, and I've just I've always found that fascinating about this song. I can't think of another song um, like this one in that aspect. And I, so I've just I've always been fascinated for for that aspect of this song alone. Um, like I said, I really love the guitar solo in this song. Um, I seem to always have an, an appreciation for uh, the spoken vocal approach that he takes sometimes, and he takes it on this track, of course. Um, I don't know, man. This kind of like just just this kind of reminds me of like a, a Velvet Underground song meets What's to Come, you know the Velvet's take on post-punk. That's what I get from this song, but with a cool guitar solo. Um, yeah, this has just always been one of my favorite songs. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts. What, what do you think? Well, you, yeah, you just yeah, just had me skipping through it a little bit while you were going there because I was you were, got me thinking about those lyrical, um, that lyrical context. I never really put it together that way, but it makes totally sense. And I was... And to kind of go off of that with what you were saying about yeah. always crashing in the same car, it almost it um, when I think of like the metaphor of that, it's almost like him saying like I keep making the same mistakes over and over, like as, as sort of the, that kind of metaphor. So yeah, I actually hadn't put that together before, but see, this is why you're more the lyrics guy than I am, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't. Know, I, I like this song a lot. I would say as far as like the the songs with vocals, I don't mean to separate the album like that but there are just a lot of those instrumental songs and then there's the kind of more structured pop kind of songs yeah. um i hate to use the word pop too because it's not necessarily pop but it's whatever but uh yeah this is probably i would say up there for me too with sound and vision as at least maybe the second best song of 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 the songs with lyrics uh yeah i really love the song man i love all the electronic textures to it the the little like kind of weird riff i don't know what you would call that if it's like a synth or if it's guitar the it's it's kind of like a synth moog synthesizer i believe yeah it sounds sounds about right yeah yeah uh just a great track awesome yeah yeah and i i've i've you know um just to to go off lyrics really quick um you know, because we, uh, you and I, have both been very vocal that we think this this man is up there in terms of the Dylans and the uh, Lennon McCartneys and the uh, you know the Neil Youngs and you know guys like that who are who are known to be you know some of the greatest songwriters. Um, this man is up there. Um, mm-hmm. I <laughs> I actually just came across when I was looking uh looking up some of the songs that I was texting you to check out that we'll talk about later um, on Spotify. There's <laughs> there's a podcast called Bowie vs. Dylan that I want to check out. It's basically <laughs> these two brothers um, arguing which is the better lyricist. And there's like 45 episodes or something like that. Wow. Um, so they go through both their careers. Like the one episode was titled um, Young Americans versus Blood on the Tracks or something like that. I forget. Um, but I got off track there a little bit. Uh, where I was going with that originally was um, I've always felt that lyrically, this is one of his five best lyrics in my opinion out of his, his whole catalog. Not necessarily saying one of my top five favorite songs. Uh, you'll have to wait to find that out. Um, but in terms of lyrics, I think this is one of his five best for sure. Well, I wouldn't, I, I won't comment for myself, but I also hadn't thought of the lyrics too deeply, but you kind of 
kind of got me wanting to hear the song again because <laughs> I kind of want to hear like I don't know the lyrics as well as something like Sound and Vision, obviously, but um, yeah, I always thought the title was always very interesting. Always crashing in the always same crashing car. The same now, car that, yeah. now that you kind of put that idea in my head, it actually it kind of gives me way different ideas than I had about. <laughs> about it gives lyrics. you new context and hopefully maybe a new appreciation as well. So that's cool. Well, yeah, those that those are always the best songs lyrically are the ones where they can have multiple different interpretations, right? Yeah, and and that's and that's why I've, I've been so fascinated um, mm -hmm. on the song because of that. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see what your thoughts are when we get to the end of this. Uh, series whenever that will be <laughs> uh but all right let's move on to track six be my wife um mm -hmm. this one I, i've always liked the uh sort of like ragtime uh piano and the opening there i've always been fascinated mm -hmm. by that as well as the piano in the next track as well that we'll talk about in a sec um again i think this song you know you can listen to it ties into the themes of loneliness um traveling again i know i'm sounding redundant at this point um not being able to settle down. Um, I've also can't help but wonder, and I've read speculation. Some people saying yes, uh, some people debunking it and saying no. In the Bowie camp, that is, um, if this song is possibly about Angie Bowie, I believe this is right around the time that they were in the midst of getting a divorce. Um, mm -hmm. I had read in the Bowie book I'm reading that Tony Visconti did say that he, around this time, had to break up a fight between Bowie and Angie's then um, boyfriend, but I think they were still married. They they had a weird marriage, David and Angie <laughs> yeah. Bowie. Um, like that could be a whole episode right there. Um, so I don't know. I think this this is a song. This is a song where definitely it's open for interpretation for sure. But what do you think about this track? Um, on the not really as far as talking about the lyrics. Um. The he sound his, the the way he enun like enunciates mm -hmm. words. He sounds very English in this song. Do you notice that he he yes, but he very not... much is like utilized. It's weird. I don't know if he did that on purpose, trying to sound more. It's it's almost like he's purposely trying to pronounce it in a so he sounds more English than he is. I, I don't know if that makes sense. No, I get what you're saying, and I agree. But it doesn't bother me in a way like it did on the first Bowie album. Yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I just, I just thought it was interesting that he, he specifically seemed to be enunciating those words, yeah. um, to sound more English. Um, again, kind of, uh, for me, I'd say like if I had to pick, um, maybe a least favorite, it's this one, but it's still a great track. I mean, uh, again, lovely electronic textures. Um, love the uh, sort of. Um, the ding, 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 oh. Yeah, <laughs> like this. This album is great in general for, and I've mentioned it with pretty much every song for having those little like f melodies, those like little yep. weird kind of interludes there, electronic things. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just like that, and it's a good song. I like it. I don't really have a ton more to say. It didn't stand out um as much as say the last two tracks or even like the first song, but it flows well um with the rest of the album I think. yeah it's this one's it's interesting to me because while it, do, it definitely retains the the sort of like artsy catchiness mm -hmm. like art pop i guess if you will um like you know the rest of side one does uh, i would agree it's probably my least favorite which i still think it's a great song so for this to be my least favorite really does say something 
Um, but it's interesting because I think this was one of the more um, ones that was played live. Uh, I know this one was played live on the Heroes Tour, which we'll talk about a little bit in the next episode and some of the live albums during that period. It's performed live, I believe, during the Serious Midnight Tour. That, w- that would have been Let's Dance. Um, it was mm-hmm. done live on the Sound and Vision Tour. And it was also done live on the uh, Reality Tour as well. So he went back and visited this one a lot. Um, I was also reading that there o- there is audio footage of him saying in certain live concerts, I don't know what year, uh, that this is one of his favorite songs. So... You know, take that for what you will, but um, yeah, I would I would agree if I if you know if you were to force me to pick a least favorite, uh, this would be the one. But again, I I really do think it's a great track, and you know I I appreciate a lot of the sonic textures and just the overall Same. instrumentation, like the other tracks we've talked about so far. Yeah, it's hard to. There's so much going on in each track, even a track like this. Uh, it's really hard to. And I mean, you heard me. I didn't even list all the instruments that Bowie played. So like. There's really, first of all, I recommend anybody who listens to this, listen to it with headphones because you can really hear more. Yeah, this is a headphones album for sure. A lot of, lot of layers to it. And, uh, well, especially now with the next, like basically the next half or so of the album that we're going to talk about now, it's very important. A lot of very interesting, like electronic textures and sort of ambient sounds and just weird little things that you can just i don't know that you can appreciate and they use so many different like electronic instruments it's very it's very interesting it's fun trying to like kind of pick out what is being played you know it's yeah you know it's like (laughs) it's like you can almost say like a song like this and um um breaking glass it's like prog being done in less than two minutes yeah it's weird yeah it's, it's just very layered music you know? right it's not, yeah it's not overly complicated either it's it's just very right it's it's hard it's like it's like a subtle like to use that term i used to i like to use it's that kind of subtle complexity subtle complexity yeah but you yeah. i think you you used that term i forget for what song my coin term your coin for, term uh, you used that on another song we talked about i don't remember but i don't remember either well yeah. said either way uh, you're just so smart, man. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to track seven. This is the last track on side one. Uh, another instrumental, but one that is not technically considered part of the ambient suite. Um, ambient Which I think not I, I actually, I actually think is a good thing because I think there is a difference between this song and the ones that follow it but sorry to interrupt that's okay and i agree um that track of course is a new career in a new town um also Mm -hmm. named after the uh the box set that came out a few years ago that uh, Mm -hmm. i've talked about throughout the series um that i have um these box sets are well worth seeking out throughout spotify of course um this one covers well the berlin era berlin and scary Mm -hmm. monsters anyways new career in a new town um that I was reading in the book that the title of this beautiful track sort of suggests a statement about Bowie's creative resettlement in Berlin. We're going to talk about that a lot when we get into side two with where Bowie was coming from with those pieces. Uh, but this song is sort of like an example of that. Um, this is what he, these were the sounds that he heard in his head when he was first getting himself adjusted to his new life in Berlin. 
Um, I agree with what you were saying when you rudely interrupted me before I'm kidding, um, <laughs> how I've always separated this from the ambient side. Um, this is just more of your traditional, maybe not the right word to use, but traditional instrument mental track, but with those layers added on top that we've been talking about that have been occurring throughout this album. Mm -hmm. uh, the piano reminds me of Mike Garson. It's not Mike Garson, but it very much reminds me of um, his style. It's very R&B influenced, but again, like you hear, you hear like that cold, like craft work sound layered on top of it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think it hints towards this track especially. Um, there's also quite a bit of guitar as well, yes, there is. fuzzy guitar in it. But uh, I think this really hit. Because I, I was really, I was thinking about this. I'm like, what does this remind me of? It sounds a lot. It really, really, really hints as to what the new wave sound was going to sound like to me. But interesting. Uh, like, like, but I, I don't, I don't mean like the really, really. Um, I mean, I guess the, the kind of early new wave. You know, it, 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 it hints at like new order, that kind of yeah. sound, like those that like early new wave sound, very synthy, kind of has that. Um, so like more of like those post-punk bands that like obviously pioneered the new wave sound yeah but the more electronic side of it so right like, like i said like the new order kind of sound that's the only that's the main band i could think of that would that kind as of opposed to like your tears for fears which tears for fears is great by the way i'm not bashing them, right, yeah i, I just I to make like a comparison early, the early part of that scene yeah it kind of gives me that kind of vibe especially with the guitar like the kind of fuzzy guitar to it yep. and the percussion is uh, too percussion is very interesting on the album by the way that's that's something it's got that kind of um not like lars ulrich trash can sound but that kind of you know that like kind of crashing percussion it actually works it doesn't sound like, like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. But do you know what I'm saying? It works, <laughs> yeah, it works with the track, and it kind of hints to the kind of that kind of sound that would kind of dominate the '80s. Um, that that percussion sound, I guess, that would dominate the '80s. Sure. It, it just sort of hints towards that. It's you could tell that a lot of bands took from that sound. Yeah, um, I, I see what you mean. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, don't ever reference Lars Ulrich Saint Anger drums ever again because that will happen. I will just go right into my Saint Anger. Uh, jam session like i just did there so for your sake and for the listener's sake moving forward uh try to avoid those kind of references okay okay <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I all joking aside i, I do um, i do understand what you mean and i think that's that's interesting um i see what you mean too with um this song sort of um pioneering what would become new wave and again more of like that that new order sound even in drive division um, yeah. To a degree, I suppose. But it's got that synthy, you know what I'm saying? It's got that real, yeah. like, the, synth, the synthesizer kind of sound before it became, before the synthesizer dominated everything. That's, like, terrifying know? sounding as opposed to being catchy. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think for, I think this is a great way to close side one. And it gives us a taste, because while I agree with you, this definitely... I definitely don't bunch this up with, you know, the, the ambient pieces that are coming. It does give you a little bit of taste of what's to come on side two. Yeah. Um, so for that, I think this track is brilliant for what it serves. Um, speaking of side two, we ready to move on? Yep. All right, man. Um, so side two, track eight, more for a vital guy. Side two, track one. Um, Warsaw. 
Now, I just want to point out my pronunciation is correct on that. You guys know that sometimes I tend to mispronunciate things, but the spelling is the spelling of the, I believe, the Polish enunciation of the word. And I'm not even going to try to say it in um, Polish, uh, but just know the, the American translation is Warsaw, spelled W-A-R-S-A-W. But again, on the album, it's spelled the Polish spelling, which is W-A-R-S-Z-A-W-A. Anyways, Warsaw. This is the first ambient instrumental. Um, I was reading in the Bowie book um, that this was in response to the bleak atmosphere that Bowie got from exploring the city of Warsaw. Um, Mm -hmm. So just, you know, to be clear again, during this time, he wasn't in Berlin this whole entire time. Um, So this is is what he heard in his head when he was in that city. Um, What I really love about this song is I love the contrast of what I can best describe as Eno's sort of funeral-esque synthesizers, synthesizers with Bowie's sort of nonsense vocals um it's just it's very dark it's very dark right um yeah. something that we haven't talked about on this show yet is um one of bowie's ways of coming up with lyrics is the um the lyrical cut-up technique And if you're not familiar with what that is, the lyrical cut-up technique is literally taking lyrics, say, from a magazine, a newspaper, a book, and literally cutting it up with a pair of scissors, lining it all up, and just see what you can come up with. Um, (laughs) Bowie, along with Dylan, were guys that were known for pioneering that. But I know other musicians later on, such as Tom Dork from Radiohead, um, used this approach for, like, I believe the Kid A album as well as um, other subsequent records, but um, so now while there isn't coherent lyrics in the song, um, I was reading in the book that uh, what this song is similar um, with that technique is that this song achieves sort of the musical equivalent to the lyrical cut-up technique that Bowie uses. So instead of lyrics, him and Eno and Tony were taking different um um, recording sessions of the song, chopping it up and sort of just putting it all together, which is really, oh, okay. really more or less the approach to ambient music as a whole. Like that, that is what ambient music is. It's taking all these different mm-hmm. um, recordings, chopping them up, cutting them up, um, and just seeing what it sounds like putting it together. So I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that is actually. Yeah. It, 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 kind of makes you appreciate the track more <laughs> see you're, you're educating me too this is why he does the research see i wouldn't be able to add all this fun fact to it um but uh it's what i love what i love in the song is this is really where the kraut rock influences yeah. like really come to the forefront in my opinion i mean i could hear like it's got like i could hear everything from tangerine dream especially with that ambience to it and the darkness to it Craftwork bands like Harmonium and that uh, vocal chanting style reminds me of something like Amandul Two would do. Interesting. Um, okay. Which was really interesting too. I don't know if Bowie was directly influenced by them or not, but I know he was heavy into that scene. And it's just such a cool ambient, like 
dark piece. It really sets an atmosphere. And to me, it's the longest track on the album, but it does not feel like the longest track. It's, it, uh, I don't know the way, the way it transitioned into that kind of weird vocal thing that he does. And that's all him, right? That like, that's all him. All yeah. That's just him. That, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, cause at first I thought, um, he maybe had like a female singer for the higher parts. And then I'm listening I'm like, no, that's him. That's Bowie. Yep. You know, Even like, the wow. overdubs, that's all Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Lo lo love what he did with vocally on this track. Um, and ah, those electronics, those electronic textures and the dark atmosphere of it. I, I can't say enough about this. My favorite track. This is your favorite track. That's awesome. My favorite track on the album. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. so cool. I, I mean, look, it's, it's, this is a great favorite one to have. Um, I mean, I agree. Yeah. And, um, that it, it, this, just this, like you said, is the longest track off the record. It doesn't feel like it. Um, I, it's funny. I, um, <laughs> just a little quick story. And, uh, I know she'll listen to this later on. She's been finally, uh, uh listening to our, uh, older episodes. Uh, my girlfriend, Cass, um, I, <laughs> I <like> Cass. <laughs> um, I, I really, not to go on a tangent here, I really, but it, it ties in with um, the song. I really, I really take the album listening experience seriously. Okay. Um, some might think that's pretentious. Um, I know a lot of people don't understand that. What I mean by that is I get super, super annoyed if I'm in the middle of listening to a record and I get a tap on my shoulder. I got a tap on my shoulder. I need to tell you something. I need to show you a video or something. You don't know how much that makes me angry because now <laughs> I've just been taken away from that experience. And I, uh, maybe I'm old school. Uh, I know we live in a world, we're in a generation where we're, we're kind of back in a singles world, right? But to me, listening to a record from start to finish is an experience, it's a journey, it's art. Mm -hmm. The artist recorded the record the way they did for a reason, because it was meant to be listened to this way. So I asked her this morning, I was like, look, you know we're recording later. Yeah, this is one of my favorite albums of all time we're talking about, but can you just do me a favor and not talk to me for 40 minutes? Because <laughs> I really, I just need to listen to this album from start to finish with me, myself, and my cup of coffee. <laughs> That's it. No distractions. Just sit there with my cup of coffee and just take in this this record, right? So I got done doing that, but then I was like, you know what? Now I need to go back and just listen to side two again because I think I I have a playlist set up just for side two of this one and Heroes because I think these ambient pieces are sort of an experience in of themselves, right? I agree. So I yeah. said, look, I need another twenty minutes. I'm gonna re-listen to side two. It's roughly 20 minutes. Please leave me alone for another 20 minutes. Okay. Um, I can't, again, not to sound like a pretentious audiophile douche, but if you've got a good amplifier, good headphones, um, really listen to this side too with no distractions. Don't multitask. Yeah. Don't, you know, Facebook while you're like, just, just listen to the music. There's just, you know, we've been talking about the layers and, and everything. There's just so much going on. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the minimalist composer, Philip Glass. Yep, um, yep. He actually did 
a low hero symphony and just recently two years ago a lodger symphony um so the and i haven't listened to these yet i'm gonna finally make it a point to listen to them so maybe maybe i'll talk about that at the beginning of the next episode Uh, but the low symphony is three movements it's warsaw um the song i told you to listen to this morning some are that we'll talk about in a little bit and Mm -hmm. subterraneans Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I might argue that this might be Bowie's most important record. And the reason why I think this is because we've talked about what what bands were influenced by the glam era, Ziggy, Aladdin Sane, all of that stuff. This, to me, not only pioneered post-punk, new wave, and industrial electronic music. This, to me, um, pioneered a lot of minimalistic music as well, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. the fact that you had these composers such as Philip Glass and Steve Rye listening and being inspired by this era of Bowie's music, um, I think really says something. So this was an important record for Bowie. It It was reinventing the wheels, right? But the I think the influence that this record has um, still carries on today. Um, and that's why I, I think this might be his most important record. And I think and, and a track like Warsaw really validates that claim. Yeah, and he has a way of... Um, we always talk... We always use that other term on the series, boify. Boify, that was the term I was looking for before, by the way. And he... He even he managed to, and I granted I know Eno was a big part of especially this track, but um, it says a lot that he was able to even boify the German electronic scene, you know, because while you could tell the influences uh, and everything, you could tell that he was listening to a lot of Noi and Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk and all these other bands that we've talked about. Um, he made it his own at the same time. Totally. Which is uh, which goes to show again how much of a genius the man was that he was able to take even something as kind of odd and different as that German electronic scene and doing his own thing with that too, which is uh, which is a big thing. Also, uh, by the way, on your whole spiel about listening to music, I'm not quite as intense. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, one thing I kind of disagreed with with is that. I actually need something to do when I'm listening to music, but I especially like to listen to it. For example, like if I'm doing some kind of work, because if I can get law, if I can do something um, like my job is pretty hands on physical. So I do the same routine. So I kind of just get in the rhythm of that and then I can escape. Sure. Oh yeah. Not saying I don't do that because I very much do that too. Uh, Whether I'm working or even gaming sometimes like the game I'm playing right now, I'm just doing side quests I'll listen to music while I'm doing that. Um, so yeah, not not saying that I don't do that. No, I. But I I totally can relate. Maybe yeah. a little less intense, but to the whole, it's an experience. Yep. Sit down. You know, I still really really believe in that. And I mean, who wants to get you know anybody who's a fan of um you know a, a show or like you're a big movie person. You don't want to be like midway through uh the scene in Jurassic Park where the T Rex is tearing down the down the electric fence and somebody calls you it's like no 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 i'm not i'm in i'm in, I'm in the middle right. of this here i'm not answering that phone you know it's the same deal with an album if you're really into music the best way to do it is if you have that time to yourself and you can isolate yourself and 
Now, I even get uh, annoyed when I'm at work and somebody asks me something and it's like, ah, oh, I'm in the middle of the oh, song. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so. and, and, you know, like, just to be clear, too, it doesn't even have to be like, you know, yeah. headphones. Like, I, 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 that's why I yeah. loved commuting so much because that's yep. my time. It's just me in the car. Um, yep. You know, I totally agree. that's a great way of experiencing music and, as well, too. And, and, like, for example, with this album, uh, especially an album like this, sure. throughout this whole series, I didn't feel like I actually listened to the album until I was listening to it on headphones because you you can really or like you said the only substitute would be some really 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 good speakers if you got them, but the easiest way is headphones because you hear so much more of the music. Absolutely. That being said, I I think I would definitely agree with what with most of what you were saying with the um, with this especially a track like this. Um, I think that it's super important what Bowie was doing here, and I think he was innovating a lot. Um, and also I would say, this is why people need to look into these kraut rock bands that he was inspired, inspired by, because this is an album that is lauded and everybody loves it, but he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Tangerine Dreams and the Kraftworks and the Amonduels and the Can, like that stuff influenced this too. And, uh, it drives me crazy when those bands don't get their due, due. so rightly deserved. But, um, anyway, anyway, sorry, we went on a tangent. (laughs) We both went on a tangent, so... Thank you, yeah, for, me, for, is, for, for me, this is the best track on the album. I, I always go, love that songs that have that dark sound, you know. It even hints to me a little bit of uh, what King Crimson would do later. Sure. Um, I thought of them, our other, you know, uh, our other big band that we that we analyzed. You know, it reminds me of, and some of the other tracks here that we'll get into reminds me of some of that sound you'd hear on Discipline. Uh, I forget which, I'm trying to remember which track it was coming up here but it reminded me of um something off of discipline interesting i'll i'll try to remember yeah it, but um yeah let me know wait, which one i'm trying to think what song mm-hmm. that i would compare this one to on discipline mm-hmm. i don't know um i have to think about this. it wasn't this song it was another song i think i think it was well we'll get into it okay. um, sorry. also the other thing and then we'll finally move on is um joy division we've been kind of name dropping them quite yeah. a bit this episode um, originally, Important their man. name was uh, Warsaw, which was from this song. Oh, yep, that I did know. Um, like, th- like that's what I'm saying. Like, this record created Joy Division. Like that, like that's wild, to, <laughs> you know. Like when you like really think about it. Um, but all right, so let's let's move on here. Uh, track nine of side two. Uh, I've always gone back and forth with uh, the pronunciation if it's Art Decade or Art Decade. Um, I have finally come to the consensus it is Art. Aid, and that is because, like Warsaw being uh, influenced by his experience in Warsaw, uh, Art Decade is in response to his time in West Berlin. Uh, this is right around the time when the Berlin Wall was getting ready to be uh, knocked down there. And um, this song was sort of like the music he was hearing in his head um, walking around the streets of West Berlin. During this time, it was a city cut off from art and culture. Art decayed, hence art decayed, right? Um, This one, I think, is probably the spookiest sounding song on the record. I love this track. Um, Has this, like, hauntingly sparse um, instrumentation. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's also this really beautiful cello as well. I forget the name of the cello 
Chella, is it pronounced Chella? I whatever. Uh, I forget the, the name of the, yeah. the the person playing the cello on this record. Um, my uh, my wife plays the cello. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We listened to this album. She really liked it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I she she always appreciates the cello, so she uh, she seemed pretty into it. Yeah. And I know she likes Philip Glass too, so I'm gonna have to tell her about that suite, uh, which I've been meaning to listen to as well. But yeah, it's very uh, the cello is makes is a cool contrast to the with all this electronic sort of synthy yeah. electronic stuff that's going on in this track yeah drink that beer <laughs> i was hoping you were to keep talking while i was drinking the beer. we we both love this album if you can't tell we're excited <laughs> yeah I mean, it's all right no. yeah <laughs> but i mean i don't really have a whole lot to say about this song other than that i think again it's another great piece um follows warsaw very well absolutely too, it does going on with that dark tone i almost i almost have a hard time listening to these four tracks on their own mm-hmm. with the exception of subterraneans oh, it's funny it's funny because that you mentioned that because i had briefly thought and then i was like nah because the more i was listening to it, i was like nah i should we shouldn't do that but initially i was like i wonder if we should just talk about all the instrumentals as one piece because i almost feel like they flow well but they're also different enough i think that it warranted talking about them. yeah so no absolutely cut to reiterate what you're trying no to say so i think that's a that's yeah, a good yeah. good way of putting it they definitely warrant me talk being talked about on their own um but from a listening point of view um, I think they're meant to be listened together, whether you're listening yeah. to all of low or just side two, because I, like I said, I, you could just side two is an experience in of itself. Um, mm-hmm. Coming off of my album experience tangent. Yes. I think this works great as a whole, but you really could just listen to these four songs in of themselves. I actually, and it's, it's, a, and it's, it's own unique experience. Well, you mentioned it before. I actually did the same thing, and I did it today um, about just listening to the instrumental pieces back to back. It's almost like it's two different albums in one, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, like the two different sides are kind of they have different vibes to them, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just <laughs> I know we moved on from it, but I had one more thing, um, one, sure. one more interesting thing about Warsaw. So here we go, going back to that song. Um, there's this really neat performance that you should check out if you haven't already on YouTube. Uh, I believe it was on the Heathen tour. It's Bowie performing low in, a, in, a, in its entirety for the most part. So when I say for the most part, what I mean is um, Weeping Wall is the only song that's not performed. Um, mm-hmm. But he opens with Warsaw. Mm-hmm. But it works. There's something about the way Warsaw goes into speed of life mm-hmm. that just works, right? So again, we said Warsaw is this very dark, you know, ambient piece. And just the transition to the end of that song to the just i don't know it's just like it, the i actually could see that yeah, yeah. It jumping it uh that makes me think of like a again i uh, we always reference them but i have to like that makes me think of something like lark's tongues where 
like you, like the beginning of that piece, how it starts out kind of slow and kind of ambient, and then it's like da na na na. That's like exactly what that comes with that kind of heavy thing. Yeah, I could see that working. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. Um, so if you haven't watched that, check it out. Um, like I said, it's low in its entirety mm-hmm. for the most part. Starting out with War Assad, for some reason, Weeping Wall is the only song left out. But um, speaking of, if you don't have anything else to add to Art Decade, uh, yep, Track good. 10, Weeping Wall. Um, again, you know, hearing the music in his head with, you know, his experience during this time. Uh, this track has supposedly been described by Bowie as intending to evoke the misery of the Berlin Wall itself, being a portrait piece like the other music on side two of Low. Um, what I really like about this song is it very, I, I mentioned Steve Rye before, uh, another minimalist composer. Um, this song kind of reminds me of his compositions a little bit. Interesting enough about this song that I did not know um, until today, actually. Uh, all the instrumentals are done by Bowie in this track, every single one. Wow. The percussions, wow, the guitar, um, literally everything you hear is played by Bowie on this track. It's solely credited it's kind of, to him. Yeah. It's kind of got like kind of an empty ish sort of sound, and it's also, but it also has kind of, compared to the two tracks before it, the textures are a bit lighter. It reminds me of. Um, more of like a Noi, like maybe Noi 75 kind yeah. of. I'm sorry to always bring up those those bands, but it really does remind me of like Noi or like a, a craft. No, they're great comparisons, yeah. Tune. I would say more than any other tune, this one reminds me of like, you could tell he just, there was, he he definitely took a play out of their, their book there. Sure. It, it, it ha- again, it has that kind of like those lighter textures of particularly Noi, it actually made me think of. Um yeah interesting but it's an awesome track i i'm very impressed that he did all the because uh, i thought this was i thought this would have been more Eno, but i'm actually very you would think right yeah probably. just from yeah. listening to it um you know mm-hmm. having said all of that and uh you know again it's pretty cool um to hear that it, uh, it's, it's all bowie um on this mm-hmm. one uh it's probably my least favorite out of these four pieces um on this side. Are probably yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um you know, so not only thinking about that and knowing that Bowie was the one um, that recorded all the instruments, I wonder why they left this one out when they played this one live back in 2002. Makes you wonder. But anyways, yeah, I mean, that's really all I have, you know, to say about this yeah, one. Yeah, same. If, if, uh, that being said, it may not be as good to me as the other three, mm-hmm. but it still flows well with the rest Absolutely. of the Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, so we... It has its place. We, we, we talked about... You know, the, you know, Philip Glass and him doing, you know, the Low and Hero Symphony. Um, I very much view um, these four pieces as, as a musical movement. So it definitely, it definitely works as, a, you know, like a third movement. And it goes very well into what is the finale. And that, of course, is uh, Subterranean. Um, this one supposedly was recorded for the, um, the Man Who Fell to Earth soundtrack. Um, possibly going as far back as 1975. Um, this one is mostly instrumental with brief, obscure lyrics uh, near the end of the song. Um, I love the vocals that Bowie does with this one. Um, there's almost... The, the best way I can describe the saxophone is it's almost very faint-sounding, right? 
um, gives it sort of like a melancholy vibe. And that mm-hmm. is for sure. I know we're always like, when we hear sax, we're like, is that Bowie playing sax? Is it not? This, this for short is Bowie playing saxophone on this particular track. Um, I just think this is a great way to end the record. It makes me want to check out that Philip Glass symphony that much more. Uh, because this is the first movement um, mm-hmm. uh, for the Low Symphony, so it's interesting because you know this is the closing track off the album. Mm-hmm. Um, the the soundscapes kind of give it like the cinematic quality. The best way I can compare it is in my head. It reminds me of In a Silent Way by Miles Davis, which is my favorite Miles Davis mm-hmm. album. Um, so I I think that's why I've always loved this track and why i think out of the four this is the one i can listen to on its own um because i just i just it just reminds me of that style of in the silent way um Mm -hmm. so much um so for that alone i just appreciate this track um if you haven't picked up on it already this is um this is my favorite song on side two and probably overall one of my favorites off the record it's it's definitely really really good um it's also kind of got a bit more of that dark sound and actually uh this is the song that reminded me of the 80s king crimson in fact specifically a track it reminds me a little bit of the sheltering sky mm. of the discipline so listen to this and then listen to the sheltering sky that was the one that discipline. came to my head too when you said that before yeah. when you were making the comparison with warsaw sheltering sky yeah, was the yeah. song that came to my head yeah, I'm so, again, sorry to go back to King Crimson okay. all the time, but it was, it was our first, uh, yeah, it was our first thing. But yeah, you could tell even they, um, you know, they obviously took a lot from this period of Bowie. And I mean, it makes sense because Fripp obviously would join Bowie very shortly after. But uh, yeah, uh, like you said, I love the saxophone in this track. It kind of goes back to a bit more, a bit darker than the previous track, kind of back to what it was on the other two. And um, really great way to close the album. Yeah, my opinion. it really is. Um, you know, again, I just, I, I feel like we haven't, like, we haven't made it clear enough the importance of Eno on this record, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, as ambitious as Bowie was and, you know, all the way to the end of his career, um, I, I a lot of this came from Eno, especially a lot of the, the German influence. Again, I know you especially have been really like making it a point to emphasize the importance of these crowd rock bands that um, really were heavily influenced on this record. Um, yeah. A lot of that came from Eno, too. I mean, yeah, Bowie was listening to this stuff. I mean, he, he showed us that as far back as, you know, Station Station. But Eno brought in a lot of that influence, too. I mean, Eno was yeah, working yeah. with a lot of those guys. And you hear yeah, that. he jammed with Harmonium. Harmonium, yeah. Harmonia, yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, he... I mean, he recorded and stuff. He was in Germany, I think, before Bowie, right? I believe um, so, yeah. I'm not sure, yeah, but, so. I mean, either way, his, his contributions to this record, um, you know, are, are every bit as detrimental um, as, as Bowie's. And then, you know, add... Visconti back to the mix too you know we've talked about that you know he hasn't always been as heavily involved on uh you know certain periods of uh you know Bowie's career but he was very much you know on board on the uh you know producing realm of things during uh the Berlin mm-hmm. era for sure so yeah it's pretty much back in full force here <laughs> yeah for sure um so I mean what a way to close this record um mm-hmm. I think Subterranean also really really sets up heroes as well 
I've always looked at Heroes as um, very much the continuation of this record. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with the next record, uh, Heroes is very much in the same um, setup, I guess, if you will, as this record is, being that side one is the more poppier side with lyrics, uh, whereas side two is also an ambient instrumental side as well. Um, some might argue that Heroes is the um, better of the two. You'll just have to wait to find out our thoughts. But um, yeah, just to give you a little sneak preview of what's to come. Um, this album seems to have gotten um, a lot more notoriety over the years, though. Um, it's the highest rated like... on Rater Music, if you know, yeah. you take that for what you will but you know um well rate your music tends to compromise the really hardcore fans music fans sure. so i mean i mean while it i'll take their list over i'll take like a list on rate your music before rolling stone and in a heartbeat for right. yeah. <laughs> so i i kind of trust that community a little bit more uh because but yeah low is low is a very very important record especially at the very least in bowie's career but i would say overall in 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 music as well it was a really important album it really especially is especially for this time period and i want to i want to put a pause for a second there because i want to say final thoughts for the end but before we okay. do get into our final thoughts uh, let's talk about bonus tracks and we'll do our okay. usual top three picks sounds good okay sounds good. um and then I'll, we'll do final thoughts of course um okay. so a couple bonus tracks uh something i gotta get better with is when i know there's going to be bonus tracks or b-sides that are actually worth checking out i need to give you a, a fair notice i uh yeah you sent me the two of these today on short notice but i was still at least i was able to listen to them once it's better than, yeah to, better than not at all. to give you guys um some behind the scenes uh i had texted you at like i don't know like 11 30 this morning for the one track i was like check this song out and then the, the yep. other one i literally texted you an hour before I'm like oh yeah. i forgot to tell you to check Luckily, this one I out too Luckily, I still had time at work, so I listened to them. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the first one is one I really um, wanted to talk about for a second here. Um, we, you know, we've talked about some, you know, deeper cuts. Um, you know, we were really big on that in the Crimson series. Um, but always got some really cool deep cuts that even I've been discovering um, mm -hmm. as we've been doing this series. I, I think the the, uh, the 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 biggest discovery for me was the track Bombers on the um, Hunky Dory episode. Um, mm -hmm. But this is a song I've, I've always known about, um, and it's a favorite. Um, and it's a track called Some Are. To give you some background on Some Are, uh, this was a low outtake. However, it was rumored to be recorded as far back as 1975 for the man um, who fell to Earth soundtrack. Um, Bowie has kind of debunked that, but again, you got to kind of... You can't really take Bowie for his word when it's, you know, all things 75 to 77. So it's a little hazy. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, this, I get why this song didn't make the record. You guys know I'm really into sequencing. I've always tried to come up with a sequencing, including this song on the record, and I just can't get it to work. Because I yeah, think man, it would be so good on, on the. It album, would be though, so good, right? But low is already just sequenced so well that I already think it's perfect. Um, but boy, this song would have fit very well on, on low for sure. Um, it would have, and 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 I agree with what you're saying about the sequencing. 
But at the same time, uh, it, Low is only like a 35-minute album or so. Yeah. It's a pretty short album, you know? I mean, if if it could be fit in somewhere, it would really add to the album. I'm think. trying to think in the past, I think I've tried putting it after always crashing in the same car. I don't know. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've tried to sequence uh, this song yeah. onto that record, but I, I love this song. I mean, what what you hear is definitely a rough mix of it um but i almost want to change it you know um mm-hmm. i love how like sort of like like breathy <laughs> bowie's vocals are um uh, mm-hmm. it's the best way i can describe it uh i would argue that this might be darker than any song off low and that's really saying something because we just got done talking about how sort of like cold that album you know, is, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts about this song. The song also has a bit of an intimacy, like, like, I don't know, I like the way he sings it, and I like the way he sings it while, um, the sort of vocal melody is playing underneath yeah. on, like, some synth or whatever he's, some electronic synth. It was really cool. I actually had a minute at work, and when you sent me that this, I had my headphones on, and I just sat back and closed my eyes and listened to the song, and I really, really enjoyed right? it. So I really actually, I feel, really feel like the the album, again, we'll save it for final thoughts, but I, I don't think it needs it, but I think it also would have added to it as well. I think so, yeah. I, I, re- I really like this one. More so than the other one you sent, but the other one, and I don't know if you want to transition or if you have more to say here mm-hmm. on this, but the other one you sent, it kind of falls under what you were saying before about the other instrumental pieces where you felt like they all should have been listened to in sequence. Yeah. I feel like this belongs in a sequence somewhere. It sounded really good, um, but it wasn't... It couldn't really stand on its own like like the first uh, track here, which I'm yeah. blanking out on the name because I just found out about it. Today. Some are. Some are stood on its own way better than All Saints. Some are definitely stands better on its own. I just... I. For the life of me, can't figure out it. where it could fit on low, you know, and that just again goes to yeah. show you how great low is. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. The the other thing about some are is you can find it. I've talked about this compilation album before. Uh, the album I select that came out, I think in like 2008. I've talked about this one before. It's basically a compilation album that Bowie took to get put together himself um, of his favorite tracks and. Um, the lighter notes are well worth reading. You could find them online. And some are is on the I Select album. So you can you can listen to it that way. It's on Spotify. Um, so it's it's you know it, that's it's worth checking out. Um, that album also has um, what does that have? Um, I'm blanking, blanking, I'm blanking. Um, Diamond Dogs. What's that song we both love? Why am I blanking on? Oh, Sweet Thing. Sweet Thing. Thank you. Um, it's got the mix where it's got the three together. Um, The Bellway Brothers is on there. Um, So many great deeper cut Bowie tracks. Uh, But some R's on there as well, too. Uh, As far as All Saints go, um, I agree with what you were saying. I don't... It's a cool instrumental. I like it a lot, actually. I don't think it fits on low, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, oh, yeah. I also agree with what were you like what you were saying. Like, feels like it needs to be part of something else. I just don't think being part of the ambient side of low is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's an album that was put out a while ago called All Saints, actually, um, that just strictly has Bowie instrumentals from Low, Heroes, and the Boot of Siberia. 
Uh, and then this song is on there as well, too. Um, I listened to that once years ago. Uh, if you're really into like the ambient Bowie stuff, it's worth checking out. Uh, so I think it, from what I remember, it kind of worked better in that context a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, this little cool sense. track also supposedly uh, was an outtake for um, The Man Who Felt Earth. And then we also have on the 1991 Rico disc version of Low as uh, a remix of Sound and Vision. It's not that great. I don't recommend checking it out. Um, there's more sax on it, but it just kind of mm. it kind of just kills the rest of the mixing of that song. It's um, the song. That song is is it's perfect, perfect. As is. we both opinion, just got done so saying it that it's like yeah. one of the greatest recordings ever. So. Don't listen to it. <laughs> um, all right, give me a top three, buddy. Okay. In order, Warsaw, uh-huh. my favorite track. Sound and Vision, I don't care that it's cliche. And I'm stuck on the third one. Um, I want to say, I, I, I'm i going to go for the oddball one. I'm going to say Art Decade. That's awesome. I love that one. Uh, I will say for me, well, actually, I'll let you say your, your top three, and then I'll go to my final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one would be always crashing in the same car. Um, okay. I'm kind of not surprised here. Yeah. Though. My number two would also be Sound and Vision. I don't think it's cliche, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Uh, it, yeah. it's, look, it's a great song. It's just it's just a great yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be my number two. And then Subterranean would be uh, my number three. Uh, with, uh, that was the one I was... I was wrestling with for third. I wasn't sure. It's I was hard. Like, this is a hard one to rank because like Warsaw yeah. would be like a very close number four. But overall, listen to the whole album as a piece. Not like it's hard to just pick individual tracks on an album like this, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of threw out going through the record kind of summed up my final thoughts and, I, and I'm going to stand by what I said. Same. I really do think it's the most important record in the man's catalog, even over Ziggy Stardust, um, even more some of the more commercially, you know, successful albums, such as Let's Dance. Um, This one was artistic reinvention, right? This has always been a guy that's always evolved. Um, I mean, you know, having said that, we, I think, said on the last episode that we would still be talking about Bowie as a legend if his career was just from, like, up to Diamond Dogs, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. still an incredible body of work in of itself. But you got to evolve at some point, right? Yeah, and yeah. he very much did that, even if it wasn't the greatest start. I mean, Young Americans is kind of where it started, and, you know, that was just an okay record. Um, you know, Station to Station, we really kind of hear the transition. Um, and while that's my favorite Bowie record, uh, I think this one really... Um, really is the most important like i said not only for him and where he would go all the way to the very end with black star uh, but the the influence that just this record alone um had i mean like i said this record a lot of different genres right yeah, this record created joy division <laughs> like that like that, that that's just crazy to me and just the overall influence it had on what was to come in the late 70s and the 80s with post-punk and new wave and um you know, all throughout alternative rock, you know, you name it, whatever. Um, a lot of that comes from this record. Um, this for me is a 10 out of 10 record along with station to station. Um, I really 
can't, and maybe because I'm biased, I can't really pinpoint any flaws that this record has, at least to me. Um, I I just, I love this record. I think, you know, I, I talked about in the first couple episodes, you know, my background with Bowie and how I got into Bowie with like the next day was on heavy rotation. Um, this was my most listened to record during that time period when I was going through what I was going through. Um, you know, so I kind of, now it's hard for me to go back and listen to this one because I associate with a period in my life. Uh, but I still get a sense of joy when I listen to this mm-hmm. record too, just because I think the music is just that good. You know, I mean, like this is really one of those albums that, that takes you on a musical journey um, and a fun one at that, even if I have some uh, negative associations um, attached yeah. to this one as well. Just going to say one way you could reframe that is that that this album got you through hard times so it actually was like a good you know it was a uh like a really good experience for you in a time that was difficult so you know what and i just you know i just i can't believe it took me all these years to put it together uh we talked about how this one was kind of like exploration and you know figuring out Mm -hmm. life um that's what I was going through during that time period. So there you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, that's not the perfect soundtrack. I don't know what is, but uh, final thoughts. Enough about me. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I have the like as much of a personal attachment to this one as you do, or maybe even with other albums with Bowie, because this one again, I, I know our experience. We've talked about this many times, but our experience in discovering the man's music was different. Um, so, uh, but that being said. I would also agree this is one of I'd say at least one of his most important albums and certainly probably probably like up there with his as far as I I would say it's pretty pretty much on the top of the list of his most unique albums you know yeah. uh, especially like especially uh, a lot of songs like those songs like like you said uh, always crashing the same car and sound and vision where he really took the those german influences and those electronic influences kind of made those his own and then put his kind of bowie pop twist on it to make it to develop a completely unique sound you know uh and even the instrumental pieces that were done i mean yes you know was heavily involved in those but um they were done in a very unique way as well and uh just have their own different sound to them as well which i i think is is awesome you know and I think says a lot about what the man was capable of in terms of, you know, musical diversity. And just as we always talk about him being a chameleon, being able to leave his mark on just about any genre, he kind of tries to bowify, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I would, I would definitely say in terms of influence, you're definitely right about the impact that the album had and how important it was for a lot of different scenes that followed it art rock new wave post-punk um even composers like like you said guys like really famous guys like philip glass and stuff all cite this as like a really important uh, record um as far as my personal taste it's probably my second favorite album second or third favorite album i would give it probably like a 9.5 or 10 okay out of 10 i didn't really you know, to be honest with you, i didn't even realize it was ranked that high for you so that's pretty cool yeah yeah yep i i didn't know if you knew that but it's it's second or third favorite maybe second it's it's close there um but yeah i i totally agree it's it's a really really amazing album really unique and uh i enjoyed it and the one thing that i will add i will say if you were to divide because i don't i think a lot of people kind of divide this record in half 
I think it's great as one piece, but there's the sort of, you know, there's a couple instrumentals in there, but the first side has more of like the vocals and stuff. And the second side is the more instrumental ambient stuff. If I had to pick, I love the instrumental ambient side. Yeah. If I had to pick, I love that, that part of it. So I'm very much looking forward to going into heroes, which is now my don't know as well. And really diving back into those instrumental pieces and hearing more of that kind of Bowie sound. Cause I love that sound. Yeah. So. It's, you know, it's, it's hard for me to pick which side I like better because mm-hmm. they're like, like I said, like they're, they're different experiences in of themselves. Like you can, like I said, you could just listen to side two, but you can also just listen to side one. Uh, I, I, I guess I overall yeah. I would have to say side two, but side one is just hard. incredible, man. <laughs> really it is. is. And those it two is instrumentals. All, it is all just one album. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, bottom line, right? But even like those two instrumentals that are on side one, they they they're more in the vein of side one, just of course in instrumental form. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's an incredible record. <laughs> Bottom line. Yeah, it's, it, it really is a great record. Like I said, it's, it's, I'm not whether, sure whether to give it a 10. I kind of want to, um, I still love diamond dogs. Just a, like a, the, again, personal preference. Yep. Like you're saying, like probably low is the objectively better one and had more of the impact than diamond dogs. But for me, diamond dogs is still my number one, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, again just so weird and so unique and I, sure. I that's what i love that's what i love in, in in my bowie music when he does stuff that's so different you know i mean but still undeniably him, you know you know it's it's all about you know personal preference at the end of the day because you know just spoiler alert you know i'll go on record and say already while i might think heroes is probably the better record both side one and side two, I, I still prefer low, you know? So it's it's all about, you know, your own personal taste at the end of the day. But, you know, yep. I, that's that. I hear birds. I think every episode we've recorded at some point, you hear my birds in the background. Well, at least they're soothing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, that's all I have, man. That's all I have, too. Uh, I think awesome this... record. I was looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, you know, we... Uh, the next record's going to be great as well. Um, we do have two live albums that we'll briefly talk about as well. Um, we won't go as in depth into those like we do studio albums, but uh, stay tuned for that, Heroes, and then uh, Lodger will be right after. But uh, yeah, guys, um, this is one where I say not only check out this record, uh, listen to the bonus tracks too. Um, listen to some yep. and All Saints. Um, they're great as well. And um, yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> we don't Same. end these things very well. <laughs> <laughs> we need a, we need an intro. We need a, an outro. Thanks everybody for watching. We appreciate as always. We're, we're delighted that we're going to be able to now do the Bowie episodes on video. We will still have the audio tracks. So if you're watching this, expect to see, you know, if you want, again, better audio quality, as I said, in the beginning of this episode, check it out, us out on the various different podcast platforms. Uh, we do have a Twitter now. Follow us, please. Uh, it should just be if you just look up Sound of Music, you should find yeah, us. Sound of Music. It's, yeah. it's also linked to our YouTube page, and I think the podcast page. Can't don't remember, but we do have a Twitter. Um, and thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, if you're like me and you don't want to rely on the internet, check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, or any other 
podcast app you listen to. Download that shit offline, and uh, see you soon, guys. Peace. Bye. Later, guys.